We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we feeling? Guess who's back? I'm back. We're back. The buzz is back. Ready to kick things off for the Nets season. Had an amazing wedding and honeymoon. Shout out to my wife, Cynthia, and everybody who was able to attend. And Jack, who was supposed to be there, but stupid COVID lockdown stuff is preventing that. But we'll celebrate another time. But really excited to get back into the Nets stuff because... It felt like we were just kind of getting a taste of all of this like big stuff with Paul Millsap, Lamar- Lamarcus Aldridge coming back, and then all of a sudden, you know, we had to go. But now we're back in the mix. Got plenty of content. We figured we'd kick things off with a mailbag episode. But before we jump into it, quick reminder: you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. But Jack, what's our first question? All right, the first question is from at the J Man JBT. Nick, how did you get that tan? No, okay, we'll get to <laughs> we'll get to the actual. I got a little question. sunburn too, but you know, the tan sticks out more. <laughs> Mate, I only burn, you know, <laughs> despite being an Australian. It's one of the only things that un-Australian about me. First off, from Paul Hoops, friend of the show, also co- uh, host of the outlet, he asked, what is the Nets' best closing lineup? Now, Nick, I don't want you to cop out and say, well, there's going to be different ones from different nights. He asks best, what is the best version of the Nets' closing lineup from you? I think right off the bat, there's three guys that are obviously automatically in there. Kyrie Irving, James Harden, Kevin Durant. Now it's kind of the mix of who's going to be the final two pieces. I think ideally it would be Nicholas Claxton as that defensive piece, that switchable piece, and really get you those lockdown possessions because then you're going to isolate on the other end of the floor. I mean, the Nets are going to try to isolate offensively and get those easy buckets for you know Kyrie, James Harden, or Kevin Durant, whatever it might be. The question for me is, like, do they go big in the with the fourth guy? I think probably not. And I think you make an argument for Joe Harris here. And then, you know, obviously you told me not to give two lineups. But if the Nets were to go, you know, maybe more offensive-minded, you'd see Bruce Brown in there and Blake Griffin rather than Joe Harris and Nick Claxton. I don't think you want to play Bruce Brown and Clax just because neither of them have proven yet that they have a consistent three-point shot. Where if you play Blake with Bruce, You know, you get Bruce as that good guard defender slash small forward defender, and you get Blake, who's been pretty solid switching for the most part, other than guys like Jason Tatum and stuff like that. But in the Buck series, obviously did very well on Giannis. But what are you thinking, Jack? Look, the Patty Mills slander has already begun, Nick. (laughs) I will not accept that. Patty could actually get out there in in, in certain variations, because I think if you're looking for offense... I could make a very credible argument that Paddy Mills is a, a better option to have out there than Joe Harris. Yep. Just be, and I think that he's feisty enough defensively. I think it's his lack of size is probably the one thing that goes against him. He would be the shortest player on the floor, and maybe teams do target him in that respect. But I, you have I, Kyrie I was, and him out there. Exactly, exactly. Um, but in saying that, you you know you mentioned you know the lack of three point shooting, and we'll get to that in a little bit because we did have some questions around the three point shooting of some players for the Nets. There could be a universe where Bruce Brown and Nicholas Claxton are hitting the three ball at a respectable rate, and you can have them both out there. And they're probably right now two of our three best defensive players. If you want to throw in you know, Kevin Durant, obviously in, into the mix too. So, on that's the one that excites me the most because I think that there's just an energy and an intangibility to to both of those guys. 
Um, obviously, you know, we, we've seen the iteration of it last season. Uh, if we get the, the same version of that, then I, I agree. You know, spacing, you probably got to have Joe or Patty, James Johnson, who, whoever else out there. Uh, maybe Millsap or maybe LaMarcus. You, you, maybe you finish with LaMarcus. There's an argument for him. If we get the best version of LaMarcus, LaMarcus was starting above Blake Griffin the, the last time that we saw him, Nick. So maybe LaMarcus Aldridge is our closing center if he has a you know a really good training camp, um, shows the, the same level of defensive acumen that we do see. There, there's so many different iterations of it. I'll probably go with you on your, your two lineups, but I can certainly see a world where LaMarcus Aldridge is out there, maybe even a Paul Millsap. Um, to have the options is, is such a luxury for this team, but... I think Clax probably is the one I want to see out there the most. Uh, I want to see him get the reps, um, but they'll probably be. We've we've seen, you know, he got yanked in the in the Buck series because of the lack of trust from Steve Nash and the coaching staff. So he's going to have to earn it. And I think that when you are a veteran, you've already earned that through what you've done in previous seasons with previous teams and such. So Clax is probably going to be fighting the most, even though we probably want him out there uh, as one A next to the big three. Yeah, I think I would say this. Claxon as the five in the closing lineup has the highest ceiling because of his capability as a defensive player. But like you said, the question marks are offensively. Does Steve Nash trust him? And I'd say Paul Millsap is a dark horse as a small ball five to close games. You know what I mean? Because he gives you a little bit of more versatility to some extent, gives you a little bit maybe more toughness at cer- than certain guys out there. And then, like you said, with Joe Harris, you know, Joe obviously needs to step up and what we saw from the postseason last year. But, you know, I would expect him to have maybe a slight improvement of his game or maybe somebody else kind of impresses us and gets those minutes and I wouldn't rule out Patty Mills like you said especially if they just want to go pure offensive firepower the crazy thing is there's just a lot more options to close games than they had in the past you know last year there was they were somewhat limited in what they can do now it's like all right who's going to earn this spot or also is it become a thing where Steve Nash is just kind of adjusting to the matchup you know you mentioned LaMarcus Aldridge I think the one downfall with him would probably be the drop coverage because then you're giving up you know, an open shot to an extent. But again, if they have a big out there like Joel Embiid, you want a body like LaMarcus Aldridge. Yeah, I mean, you could. there's universes out there where KD plays a three and you have Millsap and Aldridge or Millsap and Claxton. So um, the, the versatility is certainly one to keep in mind. But you know, I guess on a, on a similar sort of realm, we had our dude Alec at OL, OLC NBA. Other than Giannis's enormous interior presence, what else about the Bucks makes him a formidable threat in the race for the East Crown? Nick, are they a formidable threat? Because Kai was doing them dirty. KD was doing them dirty. I've been posting highlights. I've got the KD one ready to go tomorrow. Are they even a formidable threat, the, uh, the 2021 NBA champions? Yeah, I think they're still a threat. I'd say the the best thing about the Bucks is they have a lot of good players. Like, it's pretty simple. You know what I mean? They have Drew Holiday. They have Chris Middleton. They have Giannis. They have Brooke Lopez. Uh, they have other guys in the team that can contribute. I think they also have some good defensive players. They have a little bit more length. And even without Giannis, like you have guys like um, Chris Middleton and Brooke Lopez, you know, providing that even Bobby Portis to an extent and kind of helping them in that rebounding category. So I think like toughness, size and length is something that kind of sticks out. And then also just having other talented players around Giannis. You know what I mean? Like Drew Holiday is a very good player. Same thing with Chris Middleton. Yeah, they struggled at times in the postseason against the Nets, but at the end of the day, they're the type of guy that, hey, Middleton had terrible games, but then he popped off back in Milwaukee and was a big reason that the Bucks were able to win that series, even with Kyrie Irving and James Harden being hurt. Yeah, and I think they sneakily, I think the loss of P.J. Tucker is, could hurt them more than, yep. you know, than, than a lot of other teams losing a rotation piece like that because... You know, we know what really happened in the in the series against uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the fact that, you know, PJ Tucker got one good game of where the whistles was swallowed by the, the Milwaukee uh, referees. Um, and, you know, he was poking him in the goddamn eye and doing as much as he could to, you know, make him uh, uncomfortable. But at the same time, KD still had maybe one of the best games of his career when he had PJ Tucker guarding him too. So... But, you know, I think they also added a little bit, you know, and retained, you know, retaining Bobby Portis, I think, is all right. Grayson Allen, a, a nice little addition here and there. So I think that they've got some pieces. And, you know, Dante DiVincenzo, who is, you know, a, a, a credible rotation piece for them. So then they have some extra bodies. But I think ultimately, Nick, you know, the Nets were doing a fine job. Yeah. You know, you could make a very, very decent argument that Blake Griffin was the best Giannis stopper throughout the postseason. 
Now, that is a sentence I never thought I would say <laughs> in 2021, but it, it, it was plain and simple and true because he made things uncomfortable for yards. You could tell that he was gassed in a lot of games against us, whereas against, you know, Aiton and and the other defenders on the Phoenix Suns, he was having his way. And he was, it's the reason why he's the finals MVP and one of the, the best players in the modern game right now. So I think the Nets are actually quite well equipped against this Bucks team. And I'm more worried about some some other performers out there that have, you know, really credible sort of wing talent. If Giannis, ultimately, Giannis is one of the best players in the game. And, and I think that that's the prime thing you have to worry about. Is he going to add things on top of his game that we've already seen? Or is he going to be as... It, it seems a bit, a bit, a little bit derivative to say that he's a predictable player, um, but is he going to want to, you know, just bully you down low, allow you to create a scheme that is forcing the game to change on his terms rather than having it on the next terms? So, I, I think that the the, the Bucks have a, a credibly deep rotation. Not the best coach, so that's not, not something that I'm worrying about. Even though some people think Butter is better than Steve Nash, I don't agree with that at all. But at the end of the day, they have one of the two or three best players in the game. Uh, they have one of the best defenders in the game. That's not me saying it either. That's also Kevin Durant, our best player, saying that too. Uh, and they've got Chris Middleton, who is streaky, but can win you a game or two off his own back. His inconsistency might be there, and he might have you know, put some of those questions to rest. But at the same time, he can still win you a game. You know, He's not going to be Joe Harris and have seven bad games in a row. He might have two or three in that series where it's just like, cool, we've got a supporting uh, cast here but behind Giannis getting 30, 15, and 5. So ultimately, I still think they are the, the best contenders out east. Uh, but I do think Joel Embiid probably poses a bigger question as an individual player. I just don't trust what's behind Joel and the, the lack of stability in Philadelphia right now. Yeah, and I think the point you brought up about P.J. Tucker is really good because in the games where Tucker had foul issues, it provided you know a problem for the Bucks because now everybody had to kind of slide up or slide down. Now Chris Middleton's on Kevin Durant. Now Chris Middleton's not really producing as much on the offensive end. Now you have to make a decision. Does Drew Holiday go on James Harden or does he go on Kyrie Irving? Where you know if you have P.J. Tucker, it's a little bit easier because you throw Tucker on KD, you throw Middleton on Harden or Kyrie, and then vice versa with uh, – you know, with James Harden and Kyrie, you know what I mean? It can kind of just creates an issue where, like, what do and, we do here? And Giannis isn't the best individual isolation defender either, Nick. You know, yep. the, the highlight that I posted today um, where he just basically, Kyrie stops on a dime and he has, he has Giannis slipping. Now, Giannis is one of the best defenders in the game, but isolation defense isn't his bread and butter. His bread and butter is being that sort of Roma-style yep. defender and disrupting things here and there, where it allows P.J. Tuck to hone in on individual and allows Drew Holiday to hone on individual assignments. So you know, it, it, it forces everyone else to do a, a little bit more, which is what I think is maybe the got lost in the in the absence of, of PJ Tucker. Plus, you know, PJ Tucker and, and KD, you know, some verbal barbs and, and getting a bit of back and forth there. He got, you know, I don't think he got into his head, but it's certainly, um, it, it, was a, it was a feisty matchup at the very least and probably one of the things that we take away from the postseason and one of the more memorable matchups. So I think that the Bucks are in a good spot. I think that they're going to be, maybe the best regular season team um, in the NBA because they just win games uh, and they're probably going to have a greater desire to do that like they did this year against the Nets. So they're certainly the, the prime A candidate in the East for me, Nick. You know, you know the Hawks, the, the Heat don't necessarily provide me with as much fear or, you know, trepidation. Um, but the, uh, the plenty of things can happen in this season. Um, who knows what could happen that could force... You know the Nets' hand, you know, but ultimately, uh, I think the destiny is in their own. You know, it, yep. it's it's the Nets' championship to lose, and you know, I don't think that they're going to be worrying about uh, opposing matchups. It's going to be about getting themselves right. Yeah, I think based off of what they did in the offseason, they kind of doubled down on offense with the Patty Mills move and other things they did on the roster where so it's like, all right, we're going to dictate terms. And like you said, you know, they kind of control their own destiny. The only thing that's kind of up in the air is health. You know, if they can stay healthy, you know, you feel really confident about what they can do against any team in the NBA. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nick, my guy, uh, our guy, Justin Thomas, hit us in the DMs asking this one. He asked, who are we training for Kyrie and why is it Matisse Thibel? <laughs> now, I would be, if there is a Kyrie trade out there and it doesn't include Matisse Thibel, I would be upset because Matisse is probably one of my favorite uh, players on an opposing team. But uh, Nick, uh, we'll, I guess we'll have to reference uh, the puppet himself, Nick Roll, uh, because Kai's, uh, Kai's schooling him again. He's dunking on him left, right, and center. Learn that, learn from our dude KD and and, and James Harden. You've been a bit on active on Twitter as well, so it's certainly fun. But Nick, I guess give me your response to the fact that apparently if Kyrie does get traded, he would rather retire. All of this sort of speculation and rumor mongering that is happening from and and then turning this into a whole thing over the past 24 to 48 hours out of literally nothing you know the guy who is calling out the barclay center for the unvaccinated section crowd and it's just like uh i i really it, it shouldn't get to me as much as it does nick but because of the fact that we have some semblance of a platform to talk about you know basketball and that these people are getting paid seven and eight figures to spew some goddamn BS. Uh, that is, I think just stupidity makes me angry. And uh, Nick Wright is, you look up stupid in the dictionary, there's going to be a picture of his bald head. <laughs> I mean, I think growing up in the US, you see all these dumb sports shows on a regular basis and you just learn not to really care, you know. But like you said, it's the stupidity really sticks out. I mean, it's obviously September and they have nothing to talk about. So it's like, you know, what can we create? Maybe there's a rumble and it probably was twisted from something about how Kyrie is so happy to be a net and he wants to retire a net. And he probably turned that into something like, well, if he's traded, he's going to be unhappy and retire. Like he probably twisted the words in that situation. I don't think the Nets have any interest in trading Kyrie Irving at this point in time. Obviously, there were times where maybe they were upset with him last season, but the way he was performing in the postseason, the way that the big three looked when they were healthy, there's really no reason to mess with the roster to that extent. There, I mean, I think, like you said before, the Nets kind of control their own destiny. If they're healthy, they should win the championship just based off the amount of talent they have on this team. Yeah, and all the, 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 I mean, look, it wasn't the best wording from Kai. I think he knows that he can get a reaction out of certain things. It's not as bad as some of his flat earth stuff that he said in the past. But, you know, he, I think that the, he knows he's going to get a reaction. And I think that's part of the fun as well with Twitter in general. You know, we post yeah. stuff to get a reaction. Um, and at the same time, you know, he the whole vaccinated stuff we've heard on Jalen and Jacoby that they – they came out and were just like Kyrie and Kevin Durant aren't vaccinated. And it's just like, I'm, I'm wondering where they're getting that from. The fact that Kyrie Irving was at Staples Center watching a WNBA game recently actually looks like, I'm pretty sure Staples Center doesn't allow patrons to be in there unless they are vaccinated at least once. Um, Kevin Durant, I have no idea. James Harden, I have no idea. And look, it's not my business in the NBA what they sort of do with that. I, I hope they are. Um, and I would assume that they will be by, um, by the time the season does turn around. And, I guess I'm back to the Kyrie stuff, Nick. You know who I do trust when it comes to net news? Sean goddamn Marks. What did Sean Marks say? Oh, he said that Kyrie Irving and James Harden are on the verge of extension. So what does that tell me? That he's not going to get freaking traded. Yeah. And the whole Ben Simmons, it's just like the Nets would be unstoppable with Ben Simmons. This is one of the only podcasts where I'm actually saying his name. You know, on JBT, for the past two months, I've been calling him Voldemort because I don't want to say his goddamn name. But yeah, the, all of the... 
like you mentioned, Nick, it is September. Uh, September's a nice month here in, in, in Melbourne, Victoria. I know it's you know it's, it's post summer. Everyone's gone back to school there in the Northern Hemisphere, in London, and in the and in America. But so I guess uh, kind news is always the easy news to to bring up out of nowhere. We've got probably the three of the dudes where it's just easy to fabricate something out of nothing. Uh, and make news into into something, but you can just imagine that you know Kyrie Irving's uh, new response to the tweet is going to be dominating uh, the news headlines for the next forty eight hours, and Stephen A. Smith is going to have some sort of take. And you know, shout out to to Team Max, Team Max over here at at uh, the Brooklyn Buzz. Yeah, I mean, I just it's just funny. Like you said, I think it's also the three personalities. You know, you have Kevin Durant, you have James Harden, you have Kyrie. You know, maybe there's controversial things in the past. Obviously, Kyrie's departure from Boston saying he's going to retire there. So people feel like they could really twist those words into whatever situation they want to. But at the end of the day, don't really make much of it. It could even be a play from the Sixers trying to raise Ben Simmons trade value, which has been extremely low at this point. So there's a whole bunch of different elements and like you said, Sean Marks is going to extend these guys, then why are we concerned about a trade at this point? Yeah, I mean, I'll put this on the record. I'd rather have Matisse Stiebel in a trade than Ben Simmons. Uh, you know, take that to the Look, no, I'm doing... Ah, stop it, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> but to get away from um, irrational hot takes about other teams, we'll get back to the Brooklyn Nets. Nick Boylan, one of my other favorite Knicks in this, uh, uh, on this earth, uh, another Aussie Nick who I do like, is Nick Claxton, uh, also co-host of the uh, Pacific Pods, uh, a great podcast at the OJG Network. Is Nick Claxton a trade candidate this season? And if so, what's an ideal asset to get back? Are we just going to skip this question and not address it at all, Nick? Because uh, I don't want to get depressed uh, on my on a Friday here. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a real topic. You know, we don't want to really jump into it. I think given Claxton is a free agent at the end of the year and his play and how he fits with the Nets and the possibility of them wanting to add maybe one more, you know, quality player to secure the team, a veteran... I think it's realistic for him to probably be mentioned in rumors unless he comes in and just straight pops off to start the season and he's that closing guy and he you know, improved his offensive game. But I think given the net situation, if there's a move that really even raises them up possibly another level, then you look at possibly trading Claxton. I wouldn't go into the season or go into the trade deadline, hey, we need to trade this guy. But if something comes on the table that you think solidifies you even more as the championship favorite, then you might have to pull the trigger. But again, obviously, Claxton's skill set is very unique, and in certain matchups, it could be game-changing. It really depends on Steve Nash's trust in Nick Claxton and how much he's willing to play him in the playoffs or in big situations. Because if he doesn't trust him, then it might make sense to trade him for another player that possibly is even you know, lesser, but he's a veteran and more trustworthy in a postseason situation. I mean, if I had my vote, though, I wouldn't trade Claxton. Of course not. You know, but we are Clack City. Nick stick you together. Know, exactly, exactly. And, and it's shameful that uh, our dude Nick Boylan would be uh, so egregious towards his own kind. But you know, in, in saying that, the ideal asset is, you know, a, a veteran wing. But Nick Claxton's contract is, what, $2 million? He's on a second round. You know, he, he's a second round pick. So, you know, at the top of that second round. So it, it's really hard to find an asset in return. A name that came up to me, but I have no idea how it would work. You'd have to maybe aggregate maybe Joe Harris in this deal or sign and trade or something. I, I'm not as good at the, the, the economics as you are, Nick. But, you know, Eric Gordon, I think, isn't long for Houston right now. And, you know, I think he is a, a prototype that would be a, a, a decent fit in in Brooklyn, you know, he does shoot the three ball well. He is a, a decent enough defender. I think he lacks a bit of size um, with what you would want as a wing, but that's just a name that, that does pop into my head. But again, Claxton, I think, is you want to have... The, the, the Nets are in a pretty enviable position where you you have incredible superstar talent to contend for the next four years because Kim and Rand's, you know, extended. But you also have... Some talent behind the scenes and Cam Thomas, Nicholas Claxton, uh, Damon Sharp, you know, Kessler Edwards, these sort of guys to also bridge the gap to the future. And yeah. that is an incredibly rare thing to have on the roster at the same time. Now, it is going to cost the, the, the Nets a pretty penny because Claxton is going to be eligible for a deal. Where does he? Where does that extension lie? Is it in the realm of Robert Williams, you know, four years, $54 million? Or is it in the realm of Jared Allen, you know, five years, $100 million? So... I have no idea. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not in Sean Marks' shoes because uh, I, I would have a, an irrational bias for keeping Clack City in Brooklyn um, that I wouldn't trade many guys for him. 
But at the same time, if there is a name that were to pop up, you know, you can uh, and, and allow the Nets to solidify the, the rotation because they're now a, a bit stacked at that big man position. And uh, I guess we'll get to that in, in a little bit too. But yeah, it's it's just so hard to, to actually think of Nick Claxton on another team. But then again, we said the same thing about Karis Avert, Jared Allen as well. Yeah, I think it would have to be almost a perfect situation to a team that feels like they could unlock Claxton to another level where he might not be able to do that on the Nets given the other stars on the team. So, And I think it'd be like a defense. It has to be a defensive-minded player because obviously that's Claxton's biggest skill for the Nets. It would be just like one of maybe an ideal 3 and D wing. But there's not any that come to mind that aren't on contenders that are available. You know what I mean? And like, do I really want to trade Nick Claxton for Robert Covington? Like, that's a name that could probably pop up. Probably not. You know what I mean? So I think at the end of the day, you roll with Clax because also what you were saying, Jack, is he could bridge the gap. And I think just the way he moves defensively gives you hope that he could really de- develop into something special offensively, too. Obviously not, you know, maybe elite but at least a good offensive player matched with, you know, some elite defensive skills. Yeah, I mean, he posted on Twitter the... Uh, I think he posted a poll, it was, on, on Twitter, and he was sort of saying, is defense a skill? It is goddamn a skill, Clax. We know it is, uh, absolutely. Um, but yeah, and, and we got an extra question on Nicholas Claxton here, Nick, and, and it's from C's Daddy, C's underscore Daddy. Do you think we have Claxton shooting more threes this year since he will most likely play more minutes at the four now since we have LaMarcus, Blake, Millsap, etc.? Also, do you see a decrease in minutes overall? Now, what are your thoughts, I guess, on, on Clack shooting the three ball? It was funny. I was looking at a couple of different videos, and one from last season, and then one from a couple of seasons ago. His form looked a little bit better this season than it did in his rookie year, but I'm intrigued to see. We also did see you know, that little training video with him, um, David Vanderbilt and, and James Harden, and him going out to the perimeter shooting a three ball there. Couldn't really see him in, in focus, unfortunately. But what are your thoughts, I guess, on the three ball and Clax and I guess he, his minutes allocation? Yeah, I think just touching on the shot real quick, Jack, he mentioned that he changed his shot up a little bit after the shoulder injury he had. So it would make sense that maybe it'd take a little bit longer time to develop. But the the great thing is LaMarcus, Millsap, and Blake all have three balls. So Claxton could play the five offensively and still play the four defensively or even switch on the threes or fives, whatever you need him to do. I think he's going to have uh, more competition to earn minutes this year. But again, he still has a unique skill that the other three don't have. Like his switchability is multiple tiers higher than the other guys. Like he's just that good defensively. He's one of the best switching bigs in the NBA, but he's going to have to limit his mistakes and stay consistent, which obviously is hard for a young player in limited minutes. So I think at some points you could see maybe him having to fight for those minutes, but also you could make an argument that those other three guys are going to rest like Aldridge, Blake and Millsap are all 30 plus and they need to get rest and days off. So that could lead to bigger minutes for Claxton and him having bigger performance against certain teams. And also he could be a guy that ends up grabbing minutes and some of that garbage time stuff too, just because the Nets want to see him develop further. So I think Claxton's just going to have to earn those minutes. And I love to see him shoot more threes. I'm not sure. It probably depends on what Steve Nash thinks of his three point shot in training camp. If it looks a lot better, he's knocking down at a more consistent rate then, yeah, he's going to give him the green light to shoot that more. But we rarely saw him launch threes last year. Yeah, he took point two uh, three-point attempts per contest in the 32 games that he did play. So, certainly not the great size there. In terms of the minutes that he did play, he averaged 18.6 minutes uh, per game. Uh, in comparison to that, Lamarcus had 26 minutes when he was with the Nets, and you know, Blake was 21.5. I, I, I think that we could see anywhere, you know, the clacks anywhere from that range of, of 22, 20, you know, 25, 26. So uh, I, I think his is the, the hardest to predict what his role is going to be. And it, it can't help me. I can't help but think about, you know, Jared Allen sort of saying in preseason stuff, yeah, I've been practicing the three ball. Yeah, I've been practicing the three ball. And it's just like, yep. we never saw that. And we also know that he was a decent enough free throw shooter. Clax isn't the best free throw shooter. But ultimately, you know, neither is Dayon Sharp, and he's saying he's taking threes as well. So it, it's it's so hard to predict where Clax is going to be by game 41 of the season, by the All-Star break. You know, he could be solidified and, and you know, a most improved player candidate, you know, he, and or he could be completely out of the rotation. And as Nick Boylan said, you know, maybe a possible trade candidate as well. So 
it, it's really hard to predict. I want to see him jack up, you know, three threes a game, two, two and a half, whatever it might be. And I want to see him getting 23 minutes a night. Uh, I, I, you, you want to see what you have in him. And how are you going to see that unless he's given the opportunity to play? When If you're given less than 20 minutes a game, Nick, I don't think you're given the opportunity to truly choke, showcase your skills. Now, the minutes we did talk about quite a bit last season when it came to Clax coming back from the shoulder injury, a lot of it was managed. You know, we we focused on like, well, you got 15 tonight. No, you got 19 tonight. Oh, you cracked 20. It seemed to be a big talking point for us. So I, I want to see, you know, 23-ish minutes. I want to see two, three, three-pointers, two and a half, whatever you, you might want to see there. And if you're shooting it at, you know, 32%, then cool. I think that that's still good enough you know, to, to actually make you a credible player out there because, you know, it's not like Blake Griffin and the, the, the guys are got him out there, but he's hitting them, he's taking them. So I think, you know, he can learn from them. And, and for the record, Blake took 3.13s uh, per contest last season and he hit 38% of it. You know, I don't necessarily expect Clark's hit 38% of them, but take the, take them, you know, just take those shots because the offense is probably going to open up for you because it's going to be so clogged onto the superstar talent that we do have when they are healthy. Um, Clax can produce plenty this season, and I'm so excited uh, to what he can provide. I want Steve Nash to give him those opportunities. Yeah, I think, Jack, like you said, especially for him, it could open up more offense because then all of a sudden he's getting a hard closeout. He's pretty athletic. He looks pretty good handling the basketball. Easy dunks, easy layup type thing, getting in the paint, getting free throw lines. We've even seen that a little bit last year without the three-point shot. I think the reason it's so hard to really predict for Nick Claxton is he's young and there's so much potential, so we don't really know what type of jump he's going to take. And also, this is really his first healthy offseason. You know, he had the knee, he had the shoulder, so now getting that real work in and kind of developing where the Nets want him to develop. And also the style in which the Nets play. Do they play a lot of small ball? Because if they do, the minutes are going to be hard to come by given the amount of veterans they have on this team. And those guys are going to want minutes as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see the big man rotation. We're going to probably jump into the rotation deeper on the season preview, but that's a quick taste. We do have a question about the rotation, Nick. Uh, at Harry Sanchez, Henry Sanchez, sorry. Uh, he he asked, when is Jack making to Barclays for a game? God damn, I hope it is this year, my friend. Um, you know, there's Hopefully rumors. it's in June for the finals. Yeah, yeah, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I've got plenty of money in my bank account right now. On courtside seats, I want to be hanging out with Rihanna, uh, John McEnroe, Kiki Palmer. I want to be rubbing shoulders with those dudes um, and dudettes. But he uh, had a basketball question. He says this, how do you guys see the power forward and center rotation? Are Blake and LMA... Uh, the starters with Millsap and Clax off the bench. Uh, I guess if you want to touch on it a little bit, Nick, before we you know get into the preview series, what is your you know just quick summation of that rotation as it stands? Yeah, I would guess the Nets with all the bigs and obviously signing Millsap and then Aldridge um, coming out of retirement. You know, maybe they look to start two bigs, and that would make me think that maybe Millsap and Aldridge are a good combo to start, and then Blake and Clax as that backup combo because we saw them have a lot of success last year and just, you know, the ability in which Blake has to kind of really help that second unit. You know, I think Blake's probably a better player than Paul Millsap at this time, but just given fit, you know, starting and coming off the bench don't really matter. It's a bigger impact in terms of the minutes that guys play. So I think that'd be what I would do if I was starting two bigs. If I wasn't starting two bigs, then things get a lot more complicated. But maybe they're looking to kind of ease KD's load during the regular season instead of bang with some of these forwards and asking him to rebound so much. And he can still provide some of that weak side rim protection and some of those, you know, steals in the passing lanes and just not have to bang. And that could probably benefit him. Obviously, he missed a lot of time last year. Some of that's related to COVID and other weird injuries. But still, you want to maintain the health of your best player. And playing big might do that. We see the Lakers do that with Anthony Davis and even LeBron James to an extent, kind of just allowing those guys to play their game and not have to grind during the regular season. No, definitely. I think that I would say the same. You know, we did hear, you know, from Shams, I think it was, about the fact that Millsap, you know, thinks he might have a starter role with the Nets. You know, and I like playing Katie at the three. I think that, you know, it's like Anthony Davis, you know, playing at the four. You know, saving for when it matters. It's like saving that, you know, the real dime up your sleeve. And, you know, we saw Katie playing, you know, guarding guy down Brook Lopez at times. He was probably our best center you know, other than Blake, uh, uh, for a lot of uh, respects during the season, that's no disrespect to Clark. So I just think that Katie's just a better overall defender, you know, at least right now. But Nick, I ended up did finding my old tweet as of April 2. The two men, the two player lineup, in, in 55 minutes, 
Blake and Clax had a, an 124 offensive rating, a 92.5 defensive rating, and a plus 31.5 net rating. So you've got a sample size there that's pretty goddamn good of two guys that work incredibly well together, previous chemistry. Millsap and Ellen May, I think, you know, are smart enough, savvy enough veterans to, to make it work. And I think Millsap's role in the in that five-man starting lineup would probably be the least out of anyone and would allow him to just, you know, hang out on the perimeter a little bit, you know, do a little bit of defense. Sit in the corner. Sit in the corner, box out, all those sort of little things. So I like that too, Nick, but I think our most talented one is I want hope the, the ideal for me is Clax coming off the bench and eventually earning that starting role because he's just playing so overwhelmingly well that he's just like, you got to play me now, Steve. you got to start me now, my dude. Um, and hopefully there is a universe that does happen. But as of right now, it is a luxury to have because feels like maybe since the start of the buzz, the, the power forward center rotation for the Brooklyn Nets has never been stronger. Yeah, they've never had two bigs that they could really play competently at the same time. Obviously, last year with Claxton and Blake was a taste of that. But like you said, through the Brooklyn era, that's kind of always been a problem. I even remember, you know, back when they first came to Brooklyn, people were asking for Brooke Lopez and Andre Blatch to get minutes together. And, you know, we got a little taste of that. Then we had KG and Brooke, and they didn't really work out too well either. So this would be the first time that there are some different combinations they could throw out there. Even if it was something where, you push Millsap and Aldridge to the bench and start Blake and Claxton in certain matchups. That's something I could see. You know, it, a lot depends on Claxton, how he develops that three-point game and what type of offensive versatility he can provide. Because obviously Aldridge can be away from the basket, but there are some aspects of his game as a roller and that like mini pick-and-pop game and those elbow jumpers that just get a little bit harder if Claxton's on the floor with him if he doesn't have that three-point shot. Yeah, and look, you know, James Harden's been hanging out with Clax the most, so maybe Clax is, and James Harden gets in Steve Nash's ear. We'll have to wait and see about that. Um, Nick, we had uh, Hassan Iman, at, at Hassan Iman 17, you know, he was on our fan show a little while ago, asking us, the roster is pretty much set, but with Clax's extension coming up this summer and Cam Thomas's roll up in the air, do you think the Nets used him as sweeteners and exercise that trade exception? How, is that trade exception $11 million, 10 and a bit million dollars, Nick? Yeah, right around that range. But the thing with the trade exception is you couldn't, you can't include a player with that. So you have to kind of take the player. Technically, what they could do is they could do two separate transactions and have one with the contracts that of like the players, and then send it and do a separate one with the using the trade exception. That's been done before. It's just not officially using it that way. So I mean, like we said before, I wouldn't rule it off the table. If there's, you know, even a, a fringe All Star player that they think could have a real impact on this team and could provide them a real boost to just giving them that defining element that, you know, obviously we think they're a tier higher than most of the teams in the league, if not all of them, maybe giving them two tiers up. Maybe they pull the trigger on that. But I don't think at this time, or and I also don't think teams are going to willingly try to trade with the Nets and make their lives super easy. You know what I mean? Unless it's a terrible team. But for the most part, terrible teams don't necessarily have those experienced playoff players that could really benefit the Nets and give them what they need. I mean, the only really good player that comes to mind that's on a terrible team is Jonathan Isaac, but he's coming off a major knee injury after another knee injury. So it's like, could you even count on him in a situation like this? That'd be a guy that would intrigue me. But again, there's a lot of question marks there. So unless the deal is obvious, I'm not sure Sean Marks wants to include both guys. I think he'd include one. It would have to be for like a, a really, really good player. And I think it'd probably be Clax because of the, the contract situation. Yeah. And then, you know, you just drafted Cam Thomas, but, you know, stranger things have happened. But I'll throw three names at you, Nick. They certainly aren't fringe all-star candidates, but they're names that we've discussed in this pod before. And there are universes where I could see it happening. Kyle Anderson with the Memphis Grizzlies. If the Portland Trailblazers decide to trade Damian Lillard at some point in time, Larry Nance, we might finally get the jet yeah. skis going. Uh, and then also, who was the third person? Uh, Thaddeus Young with the San Antonio Spurs because... I don't really know what their future looks like. Those three names, is is there any realm or possibility you could see the Nets using, or would you want them to use the trade exception uh, with that? Yeah, I'd want them to use the trade exception with that. I wouldn't want them to trade Nick Claxton probably for those guys, unless it just becomes really apparent that the Nets aren't going to resign Nick Claxton, which would kind of suck regardless. So, But if you feel like you're going to lose him anyways, then maybe you include him in a deal to acquire a player that is a lesser player or has less potential, but could help you right in this instant moment. And I guess in saying that, um, our dude Greg at Greg23M asked, do you believe the trade exceptions will be used this offseason or next offseason or, or will they carry across the entire calendar year? 
My guess, you know, answering this question, I don't think it gets used. I think it might expire in, in some sense over the next 12 months. What do you think, Nick? You know, I know we, it was part of the, the Spencer Dinwiddie package that we thought we were getting Rui Hachimura for, and this is essentially maybe the best asset out of all of it because the second rounder isn't necessarily anything to cry home about. What are your thoughts on the, the trade exception and whether it will be used or not? Yeah, I think they already used the second rounders uh, in the DeAndre dump. But... um. I think the trade exception is more likely to be used next offseason rather than the deadline unless something really pops up and or there's an injury and they want to add someone to the rotation or it just becomes a really apparent deal that, hey, we need to make this move. But it feels like next year maybe they want to add one more piece or they're going to lose a player. They decide like, hey, you know, let's use this trade exception to acquire. But again, it's a lot of money in, in terms of the luxury tax bill. So unless it's something that makes a ton of sense, I don't think the Nets will pull the trigger. That's fair. That's fair. Um, we've got a couple more questions from Dennis and then uh, a fun one, Edmund, from Fred. Um, one of Dennis's questions, Nick, is who leads the team in scoring? For the record, last season, do you know who led the team in scoring, my friend? Kyrie Irving. It was a tie between Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Both had 26.9. Well, technically, Kyrie would get the nod because he played enough games. KD didn't play enough games to be the official leader. All right, my dude, we'll give it you two of you on a technicality, the best kind of win, I guess. And James Harden had 24.6 for the record. Yep. But out of those three, Nick, who is going to lead the team in points per game? I think Kevin Durant probably will. If he's healthy next season, it just makes a lot of sense. Obviously, Kyrie's going to be in a probably a little bit smaller role if everyone's healthy. You know, he got to play bigger minutes and have bigger opportunity because Katie was out and it was really the Kyrie and Harden show. So I think... If everything falls right, it feels like Kevin Durant will be that guy just given the offense just comes so easy to him. He can play the ISO game, but he also can play in the flow of the offense and just hit open threes, open shots from James Harden coming off screens or whatever it might be. So I'd put my money on KD. What about you, Jack? Yeah, I'd probably go with the same. I think Kai is the the best second to bet. But uh, I'm mini tangent here. The MVP odds for James Harden to me, Nick, I think they were at plus 2,500 or something. Those to me are incredibly tantalizing because of what James Harden did produce and was an MVP candidate for us yeah. just last year. And a lot of people were just discounting him because of the, the Houston Rockets stuff. And obviously, yep, Kevin Durant. Two weeks of play really ruined his case. <laughs> apparently, apparently, uh, we we also had you know Kevin Durant on the team, and Kevin Durant is the best player in the league right now. So it's hard, and a lot of people are saying, "Well, oh, he can't win the MVP because they, you know they've got the big three. And it's just like, I don't know. I, there's a part of me that just feels like James Harden could be an MVP candidate this year, and Kevin Durant slots nicely into that sort of like scoring, just best player sort of role. And Kyrie Irving continues to be Kyrie Irving, so. Just a little bit of a bit, and I mean, we'll we'll get into sort of like awards predictions and stuff in our in our season previews and our player previews and stuff. But just something I wanted to throw out there uh, into the ether on the pod because it's been a while. I wanted to throw some takes out there. Yeah, I think it's realistic because obviously Harden could average twenty something a game, ten plus assists, and I think if his efficiency saw a big increase, you know, had one of his most efficient seasons from the field and from three then you could look at that. But kind of like you were saying, Jack, I think it's just tougher to win an MVP when you're surrounded by stars. And given how stacked the Nets roster is, very similar to what we saw with those Golden State teams. Obviously, the Nets still have to prove it on the court. But the media just doesn't want to give you the necessary love. You know what I mean? In those situations. So the Nets would have to have, you know, high 60 wins, high low 70s or something for them to really probably get in that MVP conversation because there's going to be a lot of hatred throughout the season. And for the record, James Harden last season, 24.6 points, 10.9 assists, and 8.5 boards. If you have a triple-double, Nick, a 25-point triple-double, which I could certainly see happening. He was on the verge of it. And, you know, and obviously the hamstring injury, we'll wait and see how that does pan out as well. There's still a bit of speculation out there uh, based off the video that was dropped by our guy, um, Harden Barbecue, I think it was, or MJ Harden. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how how the the award race does pan out for this. Obviously, uh, the the big award is the Larry O'B. And in saying that, Nick, we uh, the final question from Dennis is: uh, the Nets establish themselves as a scary team in the playoffs. Do they win over sixty games uh, in the regular season, or do they go for rest? Yeah, I think they can almost do both this year, just given the amount of talent on the roster. And they have the big three, and they have the luxury of having guys like Patty Mills and Joe Harris that can provide offense, even LaMarcus, Blake. And then even like the sporadicness of a guy like Cam Thomas maybe gives you that scoring punch. So I think winning 60 games 
is definitely realistic, just given how well they played with just James Harden last year. We know it's going to be hard to get him the rest games, but now if they go into the season with a really good plan, there could even be nights where they rest the big three and they win the game. You know what I mean? Like we're talking about a very talented roster, even with the role guys on this team and guys turning back the clock and different situations. So I think I'd anticipate high 50s with a really good chance in the 60s. Yeah, I mean, the over-under is 54.5 or something like that, or 56.5. We, we, we discussed that on, on a previous podcast. You know, it's hard to see them not winning nigh on 60 games while still being able to rest their players because if you have, at the very least, James Harden healthy, you know, James Harden just knows how to win regular season games in his sleep. He is a, a regular season menace, and I, I, I expect him to, you know, be the guy that sort of provides us a sense of leadership throughout this regular season in getting through in, in, in games against, you know, Charlotte and Washington and games that might not necessarily matter on paper. They do to us at the buzz because we, we do recaps on goddamn all of them. But at the same time, it's hard to stay motivated in what is a marathon of a season. Um, but, you know, I think that there is a, a really big chance that the Nets have the luxury of doing both, like you said, Nick. And I think that we see the the Nets prioritize, if, if we're talking about which one's going to matter more, rest is going to matter way more because the Nets could win the championship from the third seat next year. They, yeah. just from, uh, they, have they could win no from the eighth seat. <laughs> They could probably do it from the eighth seed. You know, the, I mean, the Lakers couldn't do it from the seventh seed, but uh, I could see the, the Brooklyn Nets do it. It's, all that's going to matter is is health. The Nets would have won the championship last year, Nick, if it wasn't for health. But I think all of us and any smart basketball watcher can, can say that. So for everyone that's involved in the Nets organization, they know, we know, everyone and, everyone and your daughter knows uh, that health is the number one priority for this Brooklyn Nets squad. Yeah, I think you could also make an argument that, like, Minus Kyrie and KD, James Harden could carry this team to 50 wins by himself because there's a lot of talent. It's almost as good as some of those Houston teams. So obviously you have the luxury of having Kyrie and KD and hopefully everyone maintains their health. And it should be really fun to just kind of see them go through the regular season. And I think this is also where the infusion of youth helps. You know, having guys like Cam Thomas and Nick Claxton and even the possibility of Dayron Sharp and Kessler Edwards playing minutes, too. It's just like, OK, there's some extra juice here. Even guys like Bruce Brown and, you know, whatever happens with uh, DeAndre Bembray and Sekou, whatever guys on the team, those guys are kind of fighting for NBA roster spots. They play with a different you know, energy than guys who are established. And I guess it kind of leads in nicely to our final question at underscore Fred83. Something, someone you are excited to watch this season apart from the obviously obvious things like the Nets versus the Lakers and the big three? I think uh, we've kind of hinted at this the whole show. It's Nick Claxton. Like, how does Nick Claxton develop? How far does his game go? And, like, does he become an established NBA player that can consistently log these minutes and close games? Because if he does... Now the Nets have this defensive X factor that they can rely on big games and just adds an element to their defense in which they just haven't had because we know how good they can be offensively. They can be one of the best offensive teams we've seen, you know. They are the best offensive team we've seen. <laughs> yeah, I, you can make your argument. Obviously, they still have a little bit more things to prove and do some things on the court in terms of winning a championship. But now if they can add a defensive guy that I, I don't want to get ahead of myself and say defensive player of the year you know, candidate type guy. Do it, come on, mate. I'm throwing out freaking James Harden MVP takes and you're sitting on the fence about these defensive player of the year. Give me an all defensive team. At the very yeah, least. that's what I was going to say. I think all defensive team is a somewhat realistic possibility for Nick Claxton. If he takes those jumps, he gets the minutes. And because we just saw, you know, potential in moments last year where it's like, God damn, this guy just locked up some of the best in the NBA, you know, made guys really work. So Clax is a guy that I'm keeping an eye on because that's really what maybe could separate this team from being a really great team and an all-time great team to being one of possibly the best teams ever. Oh, there's uh, uh, absolutely, I'm completely on board with that. And look, uh, I'm not going to copy your answer. I'm going to throw a, a couple of different ones out there. It's Patty Mills for me. I knew it was Patty Mills. It, it, I could have answered for you. <laughs> I, I, look, I have a lot of answers to this question, but my primary thing is seeing the best indigenous athlete, the best Australian indigenous athlete, the best Australian athlete for me, other than Kathy Freeman in my lifetime, um, who to actually suit up for my team in the black and white is something I'm so excited about that. It, I, it genuinely makes me emotional. Like I, I, I'm, I'm, I posted to it the other day of like just a dude crying at his keyboard and I know that's going to be me. I'm an emotional person by nature. I cry at every goddamn Marvel movie where there's some semblance of emotionality to it. And to see someone who has provided just 
a, such a sense of pride for me in my country um, and the way that he has represented himself, his people, and now he's going to be representing my team, playing alongside Kevin Durant, playing alongside Joe Harris, playing alongside Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Um, it's something pretty special to me personally, Nick. And I think a lot of people already do know that, but wanted to throw that out there again. And I can't wait for him to hit his, that first three ball, that first high five with Kevin Durant. Um, I'm, I'm going to be elated on that post game uh, of game one when we do see Paddy Mills suit up for some for a few minutes here and there. Even the goddamn media day, I'm going to be you know probably on the verge of tears as well seeing him wearing the black and white. But he's going to have a, he's having his fun right now here in Australia. Um, spending time with family and friends. And he ha he's been wearing a lot of Brooklyn Nets and, and Boomer stuff. And it's just like, I uh, want to have his wardrobe at the same time. But uh, I'll throw a little bit of a shout out to Seiku Timboya, Nick. You know, I might become a Seiku stand because there's something about Guy, Kevin Rance. He's in Kevin Rance clan as well. I oh, know I'm, I'm a bit, I'm fascinated to see what Seiku can provide. Maybe he becomes uh, the Seiku High, Seiku Standard. Give us some sort of nickname we can come up with for Seiku Zimboya. I'm really excited to see what he can provide this team. And if he can, get some minutes out there and see what the Nets coaching staff can do with him. And a very, very underrated one. And a guy that we haven't given much love or, 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 or talk time to on this podcast is, is Javon Carter. Because mm. I, just in the video that I've watched of him and, and, and things here and there, we love Bruce Brown, Nick. We are the the BB the BB the a man who has the same initials as our podcast is a man after our own heart. And those shoulders, dear lord, um, no, no, I think Chris Hemsworth is as Thor is the only man that can rival those shoulders. But I'm intrigued to see what Javon Carter can give him. What his role is going to be. You know you're going to get effort out of him. You know you're going to get hustle out of him. And you know you're going to get tenacity out of him. And the, they're all things that I love when I watch basketball and role players. Try to see what Javon Carter can give to this Brooklyn Nets team uh, in the regular season and maybe beyond because there's just something about him that I think is is going to warm to Nets fans and I'm already warmed and intrigued by him as well. Yeah, and I also think uh, how does Joe Harris bounce back is something to keep an eye on that I'm really interested in. You know, does he respond and take his game to another level is even more efficient than we've seen in the past and just has, you know, an all-time great shooting season? Then you look at other elements of, like, how's the Marcus Aldridge look? You know, obviously he retired, came out of basketball, and now getting back in shape. How does, you know, this group of veteran big men kind of fit together and how they can kind of complement the stars and also complement each other? And does this provide even another element for this team that they haven't had in a very long time? So there's so many different storylines. We'll probably literally have to do a podcast just on storylines for the season just given how many topics there are to talk about. And I guess the last thing I'm excited for, and it's kind of a cop-out, but just opening night. Like, I want to see how the Nets face the Bucks on opening night. Like, do they come out with a different type of energy to just let them know, like, hey, this is what would have happened if we were healthy last year? Yeah, look, there's so many things we could do. Like you said, Nick, we might have to do a special storyline spot, but media days coming up. We've got player previews to dive deep into. The content is going to be dropping very, very regularly, very, very soon. So make sure you subscribe. Make sure you give us those five stars. I'm not sure how many wedding presents Nick has gotten from our listeners, but five stars is the only one that he wants. Yeah, especially now, you know, going into the season. Like you said, Jack, content's going to be cooking. Really excited for this year and what we can provide and also obviously watching the Nets on the court. But Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And check the buzz on all streaming platforms.